All right, thank you guys for joining us. This is your, this is Chris, the host of the Soldier and the Shepherd podcast. I'm here with my friend Kevin. Uh, we're going to be talking about a topic that I feel is important, not just in the Christian walk, but also in, in the walk of men. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, something called true repentance versus the shell. We're going to be uh, going over a few verses, a few um, topics such as discussing the difference between Judas and Peter, so which is going to be awesome. But first, uh, kind of talk a bit about the topic. So, uh, growing up, uh, the reason I'm attacking this topic is because uh, going to the church when I was saved, uh, I was still living the life how I wanted to live. It was something that I would go into church and I was really good at acting, acting the Christian, being the shell of a Christian, raising my hands saying praise God, bless God, um, how's things going, fantastic, but not living how God wanted me to on the streets on when I'm outside of the church, which was dangerous because it did not reflect who God wanted me to be. But before we dive into that, I want to introduce my friend Kevin, who's here with me. Kevin, do you have, uh, introduce you a little bit. Kevin, where, like, where are you from? Like, What's your, your testimony? Like, what's, anything you want to add to this podcast? A little bit about your... Watch yourself a little bit. Hey guys, my name is Kevin Applegate. Uh, just a quick background about myself. Uh, I grew up in a household with nothing to do with Jesus, the Lord, church, religion, anything. Uh, what that looked like for us was going to a uh, Methodist church, which I had no idea what it was at the time, on major holidays with the immediate family. So growing up, I, uh, I missed out a lot on that. Um, in my military years, I uh, was able to uh, find out who uh, Jesus Christ actually was and what he did for us, who sent him and why, and started my relationship walking with the Lord, which uh, didn't look fantastic at first, but uh, with all the uh, believers, you know, we uh, it's always a work in progress. So since then, I've uh, had the blessing of being part of uh, many men's ministries and being mentored by many different pastors at different churches as we've uh, moved throughout uh, Texas, Arizona, California, uh, Nevada. Now we're uh, up in Idaho, so uh, who knows where he has us going next, but um, it's been good to, uh, as Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen uh, calls us, uh, you know, other men, iron sharpens iron, and um, I'm just a uh, true believer. God has me and my family in uh, discipleship at this time, and uh, met Chris through that, through our new church, and um, slowly uh, digging in more and more every day to uh, find out the truth. Awesome. I'm definitely happy with the, you know, meeting you guys, and there's kind of a happenstance that, you know, volunteering for being bold, being bold for Jesus, and just how it's gone from there, it's been been a blessing for sure. Um, Didn't know you and your family, so. Um, So let's dive into, the difference between true repentance versus worldly repentance uh, in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through uh, 11, it says, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through, through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness 
this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. Uh, I read that recently, and in the very beginning, in, in verse 9, it touches on what true true repentance versus worldly repentance. Um, true repentance, as it says in verse 9, is sorrowful to the point that it leads you to salvation. Whereas worldly repentance um, produces death. So that led me to thinking about the story of Judas versus Peter. Um, if you don't know the story of Judas versus Peter, both of them were followers of Jesus. They were both disciples under Jesus way back when. In uh, Matthew, we're going to Matthew 27, uh, 1 through 5. In Matthew 27, 1 through 5, it says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is this to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. Now Judas was an example of someone who had joined um, the 12 disciples, had followed Jesus pretty much his entire life, saw miracles, saw every single thing that Jesus did, uh, was later on in his life, paid 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, to kiss Jesus on the cheek uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, officially betrayed him, signaling who he was, and then after that he was drugged to the cross on which he died uh, for our sins. Now, you know, the question I had um, while I look up the next quote by John MacArthur was the fact that, you know, why, what made, you know, Peter different from Judas? Why did Peter get forgiven for his sin, but Judas, Judas did not? What was, what was the difference between the two? Um, as I did my research, as I dug, we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit. We're going to look at it and to study it and all that. But, but first off, uh, John MacArthur's um, commentary on Matthew uh, 27, 1 through 5. Remember just a moment, guys. That uh, It says here, Judas felt the sting of his own guilt. But this was not genuine repentance. There is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, but Judas's remorse was a different kind as demonstrated by his suicide. So now we're going to take a look at the story of Peter and Peter's denial of Jesus. Now, the the version I am using is uh, New, New American Standard. Uh, that's just what I'm in right now. But in Luke 22, uh, verses 54 through 62, it says this. So, 
having arrested him, Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them, and his servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now, this leads to one more verse, guys. That is John 21, uh, 15 to 17, which is a beautiful verse about how Peter was given true repentance. So here we go. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. So this leads to the question, guys. Why was Judas not forgiven while Peter was? Right? What was different from Peter denying Jesus three times and then Judas throwing the silver down, saying that I'm, I'm sorrowful for what I did, but then he went off and he hung himself. Right? So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about the dangers of worldly repentance versus true repentance. So let's start with, with Judas, right? If you think about Judas, what did he actually do, right? What were his actions? Was there true remorse for what he did? Now, as I did my studying in the Blue Letter Bible, as I studied uh, Matthew 27, 1-5, in it I found that over and over it said that Judas's Forgiveness, Judas's realization of what he did was more like when you were a kid and your hand got caught in the cookie jar, right? What was your immediate reaction? Your immediate reaction was, you caught me, I'm sorry, and your parents forgave you, right? So, <clears throat> thinking about Judas, that is essentially what he did. He went to the Pharisees with the silver he had his hand caught in the cookie jar because Jesus, just a few days prior during the Passover, basically pointed him out. They, they dipped the cup, the bread, into the cup of wine, signaling that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And thus he ran away and went and did the things that he needed to do. Later on, going to the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Now, so Judas, essentially, just like we were when we were kids, got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Jesus pointed him out, said, I know what you're doing. You're doing wrong. And Judas went and, quote-unquote, repented for what he did. But his repentance, just like 2 Corinthians talks about, was worldly repentance. Because what happened? It led to him committing suicide because of the remorse that he had. He was not going to, unfortunately, be forgiven. It was not a transformational forgiveness. He did not turn. If he had given another moment or would have been able to come back, right, would he have done the same thing? Most likely. He most likely would have done it differently, so Jesus wouldn't have caught him. But being Jesus who he is, he probably would have still got caught. But the realization is, if Judas had a second chance, would he have done the same thing? Yes. Now we think about Peter. With Peter denying Jesus three times, right? Jesus had probably decided that Peter was going to do this. And he was, what? Sorrowful for what he did. Right? He went away and wept. But what did Jesus do a few chapters later in John? When he sat down and said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? How many times did he say it? said it three different times. The amazing thing about Jesus is he understood Peter's heart. Just like us. There is no sin that is not going to be found out. There is nothing that you can hide deep down. There's nothing you can take away from Jesus or hide from Jesus. He is going to find you out. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that he knew Peter's heart was he was sorrowful, truly repentant. He had true repentance for what he did. He was truly repentant. And so what did he do to show that he forgave Peter? He sat down with Peter and said three times, Peter, do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times. And that, because he did that, that was signifying that Jesus knew his heart. He forgave Peter for what he did. Because the beautiful thing about Peter is that he understood where his wrong was, and he went away and never did it again. He never went back to the same spot. So how about you, Kevin? Why why do you think and you're you know from your your uh, why do you think worldly repentance is so dangerous? Uh, why do you think true repentance is so important in the Christian walk? Why do you think that is? Well, I could see that in my own walk. Um, like I said, you know, I was about 23 in the military when I was uh, baptized. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And what I thought was the uh, true gospel at the time, you know, I, I didn't fully understand. And uh, I would have to go a step further. And, um, just like... Uh, Judas's case, uh, just as in today's world, you have uh, this dilution of the gospel of what repentance is because, oh, well, you know, we want to leave out the sinner's part of it and the condemnation and the damnation of people going to hell. That's that's not love. That's not the gospel. That's not that's not our Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's not theirs. Um, so with Judas, I, I find it quite interesting that um, in the upper room, Jesus predicts the betrayal and what happens in there. 
he gets up and walks out. Yeah. I, I mean, that was my life, the uh, conviction that we used to have, you know, or lack of, I should say. You don't pick up on that stuff, and I don't see Judas picking up on that either. He still thought he was sneaky, you know. He's following son of man as a rabbi and still thinks he can slip some stuff by him after seeing everything, all the miracles, the teachings, the parables. There's been nobody else like this so far. And this still happens in today's age. So he goes out, and the other thing I find quite interesting is... This happens, he's betrayed, he goes to the Pharisees, and what does he do? Like a little kid, throws the money down, like, here's my repentance, I'll give a material item back for something, a choice I made that has an eternal effect on it. And um, like you said, it's uh, Numbers 32, verse 23, and uh, this is New Living Translation. But if you fail to keep your word, then you will have sinned against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. You know, so you have this disciple, as it were, that is following his rabbi, his teacher, and Jesus has already predicted everything. He knows the power of the Messiah, but doesn't yield to it. You know, and I I think that's where the true repentance with us today and a lot of us can connect to uh, Judas in that way, is we say sorry, you know, forgive me, but what are we coming with? Are we coming with a, uh, a heart of remorse, a heart of sorrow? Um, you know, because the uh, definition of remorse, deep regret or guilt for a wrong committed. Now, I don't believe that God shames us. I don't believe that he piles guilt on us. And that's a difference between Judas and Peter. Peter was re-wet. And if we dig further into that, it's he was apologetic and sorry for grieving the Father's heart. He understood the effects that he had on his Creator. Judas, I don't believe, ever looked at it as that. Possibly the whole time he walked with him. There's no details about that that we can read of this heart transformation that Judas had over the other disciples. There's multiple accounts of the other disciples that I I see a transformation, not conforming to the world. So he goes in and throws his blood money on the ground. And to top that off, the Pharisees, these men who he was running with, they go, ah, nah, we're good. You know, and it's really to deny their responsibility and then to top that off, they go out and what do they do? Oh, we can't put this money back into the treasury for the temple. It's blood money. It's murder money. We paid to have somebody murdered. Well, let's make a cemetery for all the foreigners. That, that'll get rid of it. So we just see this continued issue, even in today's Christian culture, of these pastors that are completely missing the mark. And I say this with a very humble heart, and I love them, but they have to repent. The true, full gospel needs to be presented in order to accept salvation, in order to understand salvation. It's not a raise your hand in the crowd because you're having a rough day thing. So, yes, there's absolutely a huge difference between Peter's 
supposed repentance that people think, well, what happened to him? He ran away and killed himself. He didn't deal with it. He didn't bring it to the Father. He didn't pray about it. He didn't give it away as Jesus told us that we could. Peter, on the other hand, he ran directly to him. That was the heart change. That was the, you know, Jesus brings in from the uh, Old Testament to the New. It was, you know, love me with all your heart, heart. Well, heart yeah. strength, and soul, yeah. right? Yeah. I quoted that incorrectly. It's all right. The New, the new Testament, <laughs> yeah. um, he brings in mind. Yeah. With all your heart, mind, and soul. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's a difference from Old Testament to New Testament that he brings in, and I believe you see that with the disciples. Yeah. And up until the point of present day, the people that are preaching and sharing and learning the full gospel rather than a false Jesus. Mm. And that we will never find repentance in because it's impossible. We have not been taught. We don't understand how that works. Amen. That leads me into the next part there, which is kind of touching back again on my testimony a little bit. Uh, growing up, you know, grew up in the church, uh, you know, asked Jesus, Jesus into my heart and, you know, asked God to forgive me as many times as I can remember. But just like we were talking about, there was not really a heart repentance. There was never a change in my lifestyle. I would go to church. I was really good at faking, faking it until I make it, basically. It's the best way I could put it. Faking the Christian, putting on the, the act, just like most Christians do in the church today. They walk in, you know, these drove to church being angry and slamming their hand on the, the dashboard or yelling at their wife or their kids or whatever. But when they walk into the church, their mindset completely changes. And that's what I was really good at. I would drive to church, you know, listen to secular music, uh, cuss like a sailor as much as I wanted to. But as soon as I stepped foot into that, the, the precipice, the, the walk through the doors of the church, my entire mindset would change into what I thought a Christian was supposed to be. I raised my hand when somebody asked me how I was doing. I would say, things are fantastic. God bless you. Thank you, brother. And then, which led me to, you know, just acting that over and over and over. And I was really good at being that shell, being that fake persona of what I thought a Christian was supposed to be. Because just like Judas, I my repentance was not a heart change. That's the biggest difference between world repentance and true repentance is when you repent, there has to be a heart change, which we'll, which we'll tackle here in the next couple of minutes when we look at you know, the difference between costly grace and cheap grace. And that's what it comes down to. It isn't a, it is a, a worldly repentance is not a, you know, the difference between the two is with worldly repentance, you go to the altar, you raise your hand, you say, I need God, you do your little prayer, you say, oh yeah, grace has covered my sins, but then we walk out and there's no change. Whereas the true repentance, when you, there is no, normally isn't a hand raising, but if you do that, you go out and you find those things in your life that you need to get rid of. Idols, things holding you down. As it says, I believe, uh, I'm paraphrasing this verse, I don't know what it is by hand, but it talks about, in 1 John 2, uh, 15 to 17, it talks about if 
that we lust, have the lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes or the pride of life, if the love of the world is in the, is if we love the world more than we love, you know, love the world more, the love of Jesus is not in us. The love of God is not in us. So the idea is you pick up your cross daily, you sacrifice your flesh on it, and then you go away once you sacrifice your flesh and you follow Jesus. There's a there's a, a hymn that matches up with this as well that talks about, I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me. There's no turning back. There's no looking back at your past sin. There's no looking back at the things behind you. Yes, we can learn from them. It makes us better. It makes us stronger. But we need to have our eyes focused on the one person who can save us. Just like Peter walking in the water. Why did he not sink? Because he kept his eyes on Jesus. This leads me into uh, a book I've been reading by a great author, Charles Spurgeon, great speaker, great preacher. He wrote a book called The Saint and the Savior. Uh, in there, there's really good quotes that match up with this. The first quote is, We who had many mock repentances, ere we really turn to the living God, can now see the mainspring of our error. Every thief loves honesty when he finds the jail uneasy. Almost every murderer will regret that he slew a man when he is about to be executed for this crime. Here is the first point of distinction, that repentance which is genuine ariseth not so much from dread of punishment as from fear of sin. True, the fear of hell engendered by the threatenings of the law doth work in the soul much horror and dismay. But it is not hell appearing exceeding dreadful, but sin becoming exceeding sinful and abominable, which is the effectual work of grace. So that is saying, we should not be running to God for fire insurance. <laughs> Salvation is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Right? There has to be Amen. a change in your life. The next quote from the same book, it says, uh, Furthermore, saving repentance will render the conscience exceedingly tender, so that it will be pain to the quick at the very recollection of the smallest sin. Jesus never enters the soul of man to drive out one or two sins, mm. nor even to be overcome a band of vices to the exceptions of others. His work is perfect, but partial. His cleansings are complete baptisms. His purifyings tend to remove all dross and consume all sin. So in that he is saying, when you become a Christian, that's why cheap grace doesn't work. That's why a sinner's prayer and you walking out and you living the same way doesn't work. When you ask God to enter into your heart, it isn't a partial God take this but not that. It's a hundred percent or nothing. It's you give it all, or you or you don't. 
Jesus asks us to count the cost before becoming his disciple. He says that if those of us who are not willing to pick up our cross daily are not worthy of being his disciples. And if you have asked Jesus into your heart, you are asked to be his disciple, which is finding those things that are in your life that you need to give up. Now, a lot of, I know a lot of people also leading back into worldly repentance feels like if I go to church every Sunday, if I read my Bible every day, I'm good because grace has me. There's a quote by Lawrence Peter that says this, Going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to the garage makes you a car. So the idea is works don't save you. In James, it talks about if you show me your works, I will show you my faith by my works. So how you show that you have truly repented and you truly have turned your back on the world is the fruit, the work that comes from that. Um, Kevin, do you have anything you want to add to that one? Oh boy, that's, uh, that's a loaded one. You know, uh, at the end there, you're talking about show you my faith by my works. You know, so many times we get hung up. You know, that's really the first thing that I usually hear out of a supposed Christian believer, follower of Christ, whatever label they'd like to put on it. Um, first thing I hear out of their mouth is a defensive, almost a quote. Well, that's, that's not for me. Oh, that's not my gift. Oh, that's not... But, you know, the famous three-letter word, B-U-T. Well, but... Um, so, you know, what comes to mind, and this has been heavy on my heart with our family, uh, through the church and men's discipleship recently, is Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. Do not add or subtract from these commands I am giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you. I mean, he puts it so simply in the Old Testament for everyone. It's not, you know, they're, who they're writing to here still applies today. Uh, just as Paul says, it's for the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Um, so when we step into this true repentance, the salvation that is offered to us, the rebirth, the transformation of a new person, the heart of stone being taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh, counting the cost needs to be preached. And part of that is the reality that we are fallen people. Since the fall, that's how we come into the world. Yeah. And there needs to be the acceptance every single day that, you know what, I'm not perfect and I'm going to mess up today. I'm going to sin, but there is a way out. Yeah. And that doesn't give me the opportunity to sin as much as I want to. Sinning by omission, we get into a whole different subject there, but that's the majority of the population, it seems like. And that's how I used to be. Yeah. You know, and that's a fine line to walk. Every so often, I still find myself pulling back. I mean, just by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit poking a prod and going, you sure you want to go that way? <laughs> and I didn't have that before because I didn't want to get that far into 
my walk. Yep. I didn't realize that because I didn't have people pulling me in like you, other people through the church, the men's groups, the constantly filling up our spiritual gas tank during the week when we're getting low. Do we have godly people to surround us with, yep. to follow? So counting the cost, you know, Luke chapter 14, verse 26, I believe, talks about, and you mentioned this earlier, how you must... In order to follow me, Jesus is speaking, you must hate your father, hate your mother, hate your brother, your sister, your wife, your children. If you do not do these things, you cannot follow me. And as hard as that comes across, people want to jump into the complete literal interpretation of, well, Jesus is about love. Why would you hate everybody? It's making that commitment of he's number one. He is my priority and nothing will get in between my relationship with my Savior. I will follow God's uh, commands. So one more uh, quote out of Deuteronomy I'd like to add is uh, chapter 6. And this is uh, one to literally put onto the tablet of your heart. Verses 4 through 9 read as, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Right? This is the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus brings in your mind. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And that's just a strong, strong reminder and a visual reminder that the salvation will show lasting fruits. John 15 talks about that. So if we can take inventory of ourselves on the cost and what that may look like, what do we have in our lives that are barricades blocking us? What do we turn into idols that we might not even see as an idol? Things that are taken away from our time, our walk, our Lord, our commitment, and that will show. It's talking about put it on the forehead, right? Yep. I mean, we should be able to walk around and people go, man, that's the same Chris that we know at church, that we know at a barbecue, that we see at Home Depot, that we see at a party who's on the podcast. He never changes. He doesn't waver in his faith. He's steadfast because of his faith, right? Yep. And that's uh, something that, again, these these churches, you know, and people, the life groups, the Bible studies, we need to start really digging in and paying attention to the details, and that's why I believe it's so absolutely crucial to have an expository teaching, not an interpretive teaching that lines up with our wants and what we feel we need, not the needs and the will of the Father. That's really good, because I think that's definitely something that churches are missing, because nowadays, you know, you know, there's a lot of churches out there, mega churches, smaller churches, many different churches are either preaching are preaching stuff that, as the Bible calls it, tickles people's ears. Uh. They're preaching the gospel that is not true. Uh, they're teaching uh, cheap grace instead of costly grace. 
Uh, in uh, another book that I'm referencing is uh, another great author, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was another amazing man of God. He has a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And I got a couple of quotes from that. The first one is, it talks about what, what cheap grace is. Uh, cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. Cheap grace turns into a habit that causes the person to think that all they need is to go to church on Sunday, ask for forgiveness, and I am good to go. Grace is my umbrella, which is not what grace is supposed to be. Grace is not an umbrella that gives you permission to sin as much as you want, whenever you want, however you want. You know, that is what, you know, that then becomes, it can become an idol. You can't just come to church and expect to be forgiven for everything you do. Yes, we stumble. Yes, we fall short. And yes, we can ask forgiveness from Jesus. But it's, again, talking back to worldly repentance versus true repentance. When you ask God for forgiveness, is there a heart change? Is there something inside you that goes... Forgive me for doing X. Here is my sin. And you walk away and you make that change to turn away from that sin. You put the blinders on a horse, on yourself, and you don't look. That's why, you know, we think about a horse. We think about Peter, right? A horse. What does a horse do? Why do the horses wear blinders on on different carriages when they're gone through the town or wherever they need to go. The reason is so they don't get distracted, so they don't look right and left. Because what happens when we look, when we look right or left, we get off track, we get lost. And we need to stay on the straight and narrow path that Jesus has for us. Uh, in the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, there's a part that, uh, I don't remember what the, the names of the boys were, but Pilgrim is walking on the straight and narrow path, and there is two characters that would jump over the fence or over the wall to the straight and narrow path that walked with Pilgrim for quite some time, and then they jump back over to the other side. That is not what God calls us to do. It's 100% or not. It's either black or it's white. There is no gray area. Jesus talks about if you are lukewarm, he will spit you out of his mouth. God calls us to be hot where he calls us to be cold. Amen. And as he calls us out, guys, I want to hit one more thing and ask a question. Um, costly grace. Uh, costly grace is called that name because it not only costed Jesus his life so that we may have a relationship with him, but it calls us to submit to the yoke of Christ, to pick up the cross daily, to choose to leave the world behind and never look back. Let us be like Peter when he stood out of the boat and walked on the water. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us walk with faith. God doesn't require uh, a whole lot of us. You know, um, what he does require is one, that we count the cost 
when we come become a Christian. Two, now just like Elisha in in Numbers when Elijah put the mantle of prophet on Elisha, what did he do? He burned to the oxen that he was working on, had dinner with his with his family, and then followed after Elijah. Why did he do that? The reason he did that was to show that he was separating his life from what he had in the world to leave him behind and follow follow Jesus. No turning back. There is not a this is not a go to Walmart and buy a toy and try it out and then if you don't like it you give it back. This is not what Christianity is. Christianity is you accept Christ and you you make that heart change in your life. You turn and you walk after Jesus. Closing this out, guys, there's just a couple of questions I have. If you're listening to this and you don't know who Jesus is, know that Jesus loves you and he died on the cross for your sins and he calls you to himself. I recommend if you find if you have a church or you know a friend or you know a pastor find that pastor and ask him to help you to accept Jesus into your heart to make that heart change to follow after Jesus with a hundred percent of yourself and to understand that when you accept it understand what grace you're living by and if you are saved and you are listening to this podcast my question for you is, what grace are you living by? Are you living by the cheap grace that says, I can sit as much as I want, whenever I want, however I want, and as long as I go to church on Easter or Christmas or one Sunday a month and go to the altar and ask forgiveness, that I'm good for the rest of the week or the rest of the month? Or have you truly given 100% of your heart to Jesus? 100% of yourself, given up all the idols you have and given it to God. He is calling you to himself. He is reaching his hand out for you. All you got to do is grab it. Kevin, as we close out, did you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, something the Lord brings to my heart right now. Um, a couple different verses out of Romans, but uh, you know, I'd just like to remind everybody that Jesus Christ, the, the Father, the Holy Spirit, I mean, the triune God, when we say they have love for us, it is a sacrificial love. You know, the Greeks had multiple different types of love, friendship, secular, sexual, you name it, they had it. And agape love was for God. There was nothing else like it, and it is a sacrificial holy, set-apart love that he has for us. And Romans 8.28 brings us to the love that we have for him. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And that's another reminder of the sacrificial love and his purpose, not our purpose that we see when we wake up. And if you go down to verse 38, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, 
nor our worries about tomorrow, which so many of us, Chris, in today's culture just live by that. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or above the earth or below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I would encourage everybody with today's culture, with all these movies and the shows that are out that seem so wonderful and loving and biblical, a lot of them are 100% not. They're funded by other religions. There's messages that are snuck in. So I want everybody, I'd encourage everybody, including ourselves today, to take inventory. What Christ are you following? What Savior do you believe in? Because there is a whole slew of them being preached today that are okay to follow, but there's only one that gives salvation. All right, guys. Well, um, Thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Kevin. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Hopefully we can do some more in the future, but hopefully this affects you guys and there's something in this that will help you. Have a great day. God bless you, and I'll see you guys in the next one.